Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Extra Points Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Brown, the publisher of Extra Points. Normally, this, news, this, uh, this podcast is behind a paywall. Uh, if you are an Extra Points subscriber, you get at least one of these podcasts every month. It's usually near the end of the month. Um, and moving forward, after Extra Points merges with its secret entity, which uh, I'll announce in a couple of days, there'll be more of these. But today, I want to do one for free because these guests are near and dear to my heart. I think they may be near and dear to your heart, too. And I wanted to open this up to a wider audience. Uh, I'm chatting today by two buddies and ex-colleagues, Alex Kirshner and Tyson Whitting. They uh, are friends of mine from SB Nation, and they're both working on something very cool right now, which I think is different from anything else I've seen from any college football book or article, and I've read a bunch of them. I mean this with love. It is profoundly weird, uh, but in the best way. Um, I, I think I'll let them tell us about it. Alex, Tyson, how are you guys? Doing great. Good. How are you, old friend? Uh, I asked this question out of some kind of like a verbal tick in English, right? Like, of course, we're not actually doing okay. But all things considered, grading on this curve, I'm doing all right. It's a beautiful day in Chicago. My kids aren't burning down the house right now. I'm with my buddies. We're doing okay. Felt. I'm very much with that. Uh, yeah, but I, I think that one of the upsides in uh, life recently, and you've got to look for them where you can find them these days, is that we've been working on this book. Uh, the Sinful Seven, Sci-Fi Western Legends of the NCAA. And uh, I, I think that if you are a college football history buff, uh, a college football like weirdo who enjoys the kinds of uh, odd stories and anecdotes that make up the sport, I think you'll really enjoy it. And, and we've been working on it for a few months and are excited to bring it to you. Let's, I, I want to talk about this a little bit because your book – as I understand it, and from what I've read right now, is a hybrid fiction, nonfiction story between some things that definitely happened and some things that I'm pretty sure didn't happen. Um, but the Sinful Seven itself, like, that's a real thing, right? That's not some Red Dead Redemption DLC that I'm unaware of. Absolutely. The Sinful Seven uh, were a real group of seven schools in the late 1940s to very, very early 1950s, like talking like January 1950, like the first couple of days of the new decade uh, that went against uh, the NCAA's new policies that restricted what schools could give athletes. And instead of lying and saying, no, we're not paying players, we're not subsidizing college athletics in these ways that you don't want, they said, actually, we are doing that, and we're not going to stop, and we dare you to do something about it. Uh, and it ultimately came down to, to a test where the NCAA tried to do something about it, uh, failed very miserably, and then got on the course to sort of recreating itself, this is the NCAA, uh, into the body that you know and don't like today. Tyson, have you heard, had you heard of these guys before you started everything? I, I, I understand that you – do not have the diehard football nerdery background that maybe some of your buddies on this project have. Well, it's it's really interesting because I, I and I'll, again I'll be branded brandishing my ignorance here. Um, this is a very safe place. Safe place. <laughs> I, I I love football. I like I'm a, unfortunately a Maryland fan. I've like, like follow it to a reasonable degree, but I I truly truly don't know the history um, of like the NCAA of like like college sports in general. And they, when this group of guys asked me to sign on for this project uh, to help like art direct it and um, uh, help publish it, I honestly was like, well, this could literally be about nothing. And it's still going to be one of the greatest things I'll ever work on. So I was happy to sign on, but uh, 
and when I was in the early discussions and they were like, oh, we're going to combine these two concepts and that we're going to be talking about the history, but at the same time, we're going to talk about history that didn't exist. I was like, oh, that makes no sense at all. And when I got the first draft of this, my brain just exploded because I, <laughs> there was, it goes so much deeper than, because when, when I, when I think of like, as a relatively young person, when I think of college football, my, I can kind of only go back to maybe the eighties where things got silly, but going back to the forties and the fifties, it, it's unreal how much history there is behind it. Um, and it's told, told so well in the story. It, this is an area that I'm, I think, reasonably familiar with. I, I, some of the chapters in my book I did a couple years ago touched on this event and kind of digging into the Sinful Seven was one of the like, chapter ideas that I, I thought about doing and kind of researched a little bit and decided against it. But one of the things that's weird for me is like when I think of like sinful college football programs, right? And I think chasing the aesthetic that you're writing about in this book, you think of like the 1970s Southwest Conference. You think of SMU like shamelessly dropping backs. You think of Oklahoma or Auburn, these schools that have been cheating on some level. And I say this with love because I, I think I, we're all kind of pro-cheating here as far as amateurism is concerned. But they've been doing this for forever. But like the Sinful Seven has teams like Boston College and Villanova, which I, I don't think you typically think of as like sinful. No, not at all. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what, What's that dynamic been like for you when you're, when you're digging into this? Well, it's interesting because it's not just Boston College and Villanova. It's also the University of Virginia. And UVA was actually, I would argue, the ringleader of the Sinful Seven, which is sort of like, you know, if you have a, a choir boy who drops like an incredible diss track uh, with just tons of vulgarity all throughout. And, you know, UVA, you don't think of a school like that the same way that you don't think of Boston College or Villanova as this outlaw school. But it actually started to make more sense as we looked into it because, you know, the way that this kind of unfolded is that, you know, the University of Virginia is an old, old institution with a long history of thinking that it is all that and thinking that it is better than everyone else. And, and I don't mean that in an insulting way, but, you know, it's a pretty prestigious institution that thinks very highly of its ability to set rules, to operate with integrity, all that good jazz. The NCAA in 1948 passes this thing called the Sanity Code that was an attempt to more or less make schools treat athletes like they treated every other student. You know, the, the most basic simple way to understand the sanity code is that you couldn't give an athlete something that you wouldn't make available to every student. And, and that obviously means athletic scholarships. It means paying players. It means recruiting inducements. Uh, and the university of Virginia's take on this was that we view our honor code here on our campus as more important, more sacred than this so-called sanity code that the NCAA has. And so it starts to make more sense when you view this not as Virginia attempting to be this outlaw renegade school that wants to flaunt the rules, but as a school that in fact says like our rules, our way of life are so sacred that we are not going to listen to what the NCAA thinks we should do. And that's true for the rest of these schools. I mean, Villanova and Boston college got, you know, they got backing from a lot of Catholic schools, around the country when it came time to actually vote on whether the schools that broke the sanity code should be expelled from the NCAA because a lot of these Catholic schools were like, you know, we have scholarship arrangements that are set up for us by the Catholic church and by, yeah. you know, institutions that have been in these communities for 
a century or more. And we're not going to let this NCAA tell us what our scholarship rules are going to be and, and how we're going to operate. Um, you know, there were different but similar dynamics at military and military adjacent schools, VMI, the Citadel were part of the Simple Seven, and Virginia Tech, which has always sort of straddled this military, non-military school fence. Uh, I'm actually deeply proud of this as a University of Maryland alum. The school that was the most explicitly screw you, we want to just be this big time football factory and we're not going to take any of your bullshit school was the University of Maryland uh, run by Curly Bird, the president of the time, who uh, was not a great guy in many ways. He was extremely racist and a segregationist. But one thing that he had going for him was that he was at least uh, exceedingly honest about the way that he wanted to run his football program. And he just wasn't comfortable with the NCAA telling us, you know, no, Maryland, you can't do that. I'm, I'm not shocked to hear you say this because there's one thing that I remember from working with both you and Tyson is that you are both always proud of the University of Maryland's, Maryland's athletic department and the <laughs> that they make and that they have constantly filled you with pride. Um, always. Always. Um, yeah, I, I, I remember that too. Curly Bird's a fascinating guy. Um, I mean that both for good and for ill, being one of the early, very bombastic screw you presidents um, and also being the guy that helped run Bear Bryant out of town. Which mm-hmm. which worked out just great. Fant- um, it worked out fantastically. It worked yeah. out fantastic. Let me let me ask I mean, both of you here, especially because you both have very different like historical backgrounds coming into this. What was one of the most fascinating things that you learned while working on this project? A new thing for you. Do, do you want me to because almost all of it for me yeah. um, was new, and that's what I it's I. That's what makes this like such an exciting project to work on because every chapter I get, I'm when I'm reading the the nonfiction, I'm learning every single paragraph, and then I then I'm sent right back into this fiction part, and I'm starting to make connect these like metaphors, and it's hilarious and incredible the way these like little strings are all being tied together. Um, I think. I think one of the biggest things that I kind of am taking away and like one of the things that kind of like shocked me the most was how much like, like uh, Adolf Rupp's like basketball program played a role in this like gigantic scheme. Like, I don't know, the basketball seemed to influence football in these not so great ways sometimes. And uh, the people uh, who are running those kind of organizations throughout like the country, it just the way people are butting heads. It's, it goes so much deeper than just two schools not liking each other or like the NCAA as just like an entity just trying to like, Hey, don't do this. And everyone kind of shrugs their shoulders and say, okay, but it, it, I don't know. There's a lot of things I could go off on for that, but um, very, I don't know. I, I could just go on for days. There, there's a, maybe an interesting argument that those 1950s Kentucky basketball teams were the most influential non-football programs on football maybe ever. Uh, given what that did with Brian and what that unquestionably did, yeah definition of yeah yeah my favorite thing and it goes directly to that to that point is seeing through research how everything is connected and how you can draw lines probably even farther back than this but uh, where we start in this book and where we'll go is you can really draw some synthesis and connect uh, everything from like 1901 Harvard versus Yale when they had a dispute Walter Camp did with Harvard over the eligibility of a Harvard player. 
and how they resolve that, which is to say, uh, at the time, they didn't really. Harvard played the kid, even though it turned out he wasn't eligible. What were the consequences at that time? Nothing. Harvard could just do what it wanted. There was no NCAA. Suddenly, Harvard and Yale, they make an agreement. The two schools basically forming you know, the first college sports conference, uh, but it's just two schools. 20 years later, Princeton, some players take some money. They're cheating. Princeton decides, all right, we want to be in this whole conference with Harvard and Yale. So they have this thing called the Three Presidents Agreement. Uh, and then, you know, a couple decades later, they get a couple more schools to agree to those rules. And that's called the Ivy League. Uh, and, and you see this kind of impromptu uh, kind of ad hoc administration of governance in college sports that really governs college football and all of college sports for the whole first half of the 20th century. And, you know, the sanity code is such an interesting jumping off point because uh, those ad hoc arrangements for governing the sport you know, when World War II comes around, you start to see how that creates imbalances because Notre Dame is not in a conference. Notre Dame is beholden to nobody. Frankly, he can do whatever he wants in the recruiting realm. And the result is that you get, you know, I think the most dominant stretch of seasons by a college football team uh, at the Division One level ever. And so then you have the Sanity Code, which is the NCAA kind of trying to rein that all in. And then you have schools breaking the Sanity Code, like we just talked about with the Simple Seven. Then you have you know, a new NCAA that can actually, they replace the sanity code with real enforcement mechanisms. Here comes the University of Kentucky, uh, which decides to test that system uh, and get absolutely nuked by the NCAA in a way that takes us really all the way to NCAA enforcement now. And, you know, I hope that if people read this book, you'll find that one of the strengths of it is that uh, it really puts into context how the administration of college sports has just gone from one thing to another um, and gradually gotten a little bit more organized over time. One of the best books that I ever read that I think helped really clarify that straight line was The 50 Year Seduction, which you know, does this within the context of television. But it, it's a good point. I think you guys touched on this a little bit from what I've read in the book. Like, it's pretty amazing how much a direct line you could trace in university management and administration, the NCAA, from just like, fuck Brown energy or like fuck, fuck Penn or fuck Princeton or this, this, mm -hmm. you know, pardon, pardon my French friends, but like this, this uh, distrust of very similar institutions and this idea that schools do not trust each other to regulate each other or act in their own best interests is one of the most consistent stories I think throughout the history of college sports, whether that's in the Ivy league or the proto Ivy league, or whether that's the PCC, whether that's the sinful seven and what's literally happening right now with COVID testing and satellite camps and any kind of national consensus. Nobody wants the, those other people in their backyard. Not at all. There's, I mean, and that's the, the constant back and forth that you even get today. I mean, the NCAA, what, a couple months ago, they, they put out a new protocol for how they're going to prosecute cases where when schools just can't agree and they call it like the independent accountability, something, something that they love acronyms. And, you know, okay, three years from now, they'll come up with something else because nobody can ever agree on how their peers should prosecute college sports versions of crimes. And they've, they've never agreed on it from, you know, the 1800s uh, until right now. I, I think also it's, it's interesting how we had these big sweeping, like declarations and things like that happening, but also it gets on this level of pettiness that's so incredible it, it like it, on, to individuals and not just even like schools themselves it's it's almost sad in a way 
I learned in researching this book that the president of the University of Kentucky, uh, after the NCAA uh, comes down hard with the death penalty for Kentucky basketball uh, in November of 1952, the president of the NCAA tries to go through the House Committee on Un-American Activities to find evidence that a judge who had created some PR problems for Kentucky was a commie. And, <laughs> and to do that, he wrote a letter to Curly Bird, who we were talking about at Maryland, because the judge had also created some PR problems for Maryland. And unfortunately, they, they just can't find evidence that he's a commie. And uh, they, they have to move on and uh, are not able to paint him red, as they were intending. It is... If you're trying to think of what are the dominant threads or something that can explain what's happening in college athletics beyond we want more money, personal pettiness seems like a pretty good you know, motivator, whether that's history or trying to look at what's happening right now. Um, sometimes people are just in charge of stuff. And, and sometimes uh, people don't necessarily grow out of maybe those 16, 17-year-old tendencies. They just get more power to do it. No, sometimes I think – you know, there must be some deeper reason that this large institution is doing this self-destructive thing in college sports. No, not really. Like they just didn't want to admit they were wrong or they just didn't care and they just wanted to win. And uh, I, I sort of respect the nakedness of that in a way. Uh, but it's not as complex as sometimes I think in my head it needs to be. And that's, that's something else that we learned in, in doing this book. Could, could you imagine a large entity like, maybe a company, for example, acting in a self-destructive manner and not really having the introspection to question whether those decisions were really in their best interest? I certainly can't. No comment. No. <laughs> um, let me ask you guys something else, right? So you've, you've worked on other projects before that I think a lot of my audience is familiar with. You've done stuff with Shutdown Forecast. You've done stuff with PAPN. You've done stuff for other SB Nation projects. Um, how much do you think that the Sinful Seven is a continuation of any of those? Are there callbacks to full cast or PAPN stuff? Uh, can you draw a straight line between the communities that people are familiar with and this project, or is it a completely separate entity? Well, there's, there's Bojangles in some art that Tyson did for this book. <laughs> uh, you know, if that alone doesn't convince you to buy this, I don't know what would. We, we, there've been a couple instances. I've been really blessed to be like slowly pulled into a lot of these inside jokes over the course of this, the last couple months. And it's like things that I, not just in college football, but like around the, like the community and the internet that I just have not been a part of. And it's so wonderful to be included in those. Um, and I, it's when, when writing and developing and making art for this book, we get to, sometimes we get to these crossroads where it's just like, we don't have a good answer here. And then we'll, we'll like go to Twitter or we'll, at, we'll like ask each other. And um, there's some really good answers coming out. <laughs> <laughs> they come out of like the woodwork for what we're trying to do and it just it just adds to like the like the piece as a whole and the, the book as a whole is that just, it's just it's not just made by like the five of us it's literally years and years of community have like are kind of like piled into this yeah i think that if you read this book and you are also in our little corner of the internet uh that the three of us are all in and uh that our colleagues on this project are in. Uh, we have we have made it so that there will be a lot of points in the book where you will chuckle and realize that this is a joke that that you have seen before, uh, 
and hopefully that that's spun forward in a way that serves the story well. Cause we don't, we don't want to do it just gratuitously, but it turns out that uh, if your whole kind of theme is college sports or you have to see them for what they are and that's how you operate for years, that fits well with this book. I, I, I would get, I would have basically a weekly moment where I'm sitting at my desk, staring at my screen going, what the hell did I just draw? And, I, <laughs> and then I'd pop it in, I'd pop it into our Slack room and we would just laugh about it for like 15 minutes and everyone would be, oh, that's perfect. That's exactly what I'm looking for. I'm like, are you, are, are you sure this is what you want? And, and then I'd read through it again. I'm like, okay, this is, we're on a good line here. One of the, one of the exciting things as I've been reading this, like I've been a full cast and PAPN listener since go, right? I, I was, I was that explanation for a long time. And I've seen a lot of those callbacks. Like I see Hank Rutgers in print and I, I bust out laughing, but I do think this is accessible to people who haven't been in that community. There's going to be some things that are going to be a little bit strange. Like it is a fiction book. Like it's, there's a lot of wild West metaphors in there and it's, it's definitely different, but I don't think you necessarily have to be steeped in like weirdo espionation lore for four years to get something out of this. No, I hope that even if you have never consumed any of the, uh, let's say more eccentric work that we have done over the years at SB Nation. I think that you can read this book and you'll come away learning some things that you didn't know before and seeing how events from the very beginning of organized college sports uh, are reflected in the way things are today. Things that had, you know, ostensibly nothing to do with it, with one another, but uh, you know, w- we have one chapter that starts in, the Indiana high school basketball scene during the depression. And I would argue that it is essential uh, to NCAA enforcement being what it is today and college sports looking the way it is today. It's just so many weird rabbit holes that when you come out the other side, you realize you're right in the middle of the way things are now. And and that's been exciting to see. That is maybe the central ethos of what I'm trying to do with extra points. I want, I want to jump in those rabbit holes because that's who knows where you end up. And doing them great. Yeah. Well, thank you. Let me, let me, let me ask you, we'll, we'll get you out of here on this. What's been your favorite part? What is, what is, what is the, your favorite, you know, either historical thing that you've dug into or plot segment or joke or what, what's, what's been the, your favorite part of this project so far? Tyson. Oh man. I'm, I'm I wanted you to answer out. first so I could think about it. <laughs> All right. So, so I, I, would, I was just talking about how the most, the ridiculous things that I've been drawing and there was kind of, a, I was developing a style early on and like how we wanted to make everything look and we were running through the different chapters um, before they were even written and just talking about what we want for like, what, what, this could be a good chapter image, this could be a good chapter image. And then before anything was drawn and before, there is one chapter specifically, Alex, I think the, I think maybe chapter five it is, maybe six, but we already knew what we wanted to draw and I ended up drawing it and it's, let's just say it's a very awkward scene of two mascots um, that can only be, <laughs> that can only be described, but you, you, you will, I, I don't know, I can't, I can't, I, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I, I've been drawing some incredible things and it's, having the freedom to just draw bonkers shit every day has been an absolute blessing. Um, But that particular illustration, I hope when people see it, it will make them smile. Yeah. There's, there's a chapter in the book called, 
there's a chapter in the book that Tyson is referring to uh, that is called Forbidden Fruit, and and we'll just I don't know how much I can give, so that's why we'll I, just, I'll leave it up to you. Alex. And and we'll just I, I think that it, I think that people will enjoy that the art for that chapter when they see it. Is this this book is rated PG thirteen, right? PG thirteen, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. This this is more yeah. middle middle school dance than uh, yeah than. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it wrong. Well, it, I, I can assure you the book smells better than a middle school dance. <laughs> <laughs> My um, favorite thing might be just reading some of the, just seeing the creativity that the other four people on this project have put into it. Uh, I've really, I found myself doing a lot of the nonfiction parts of this book, but I think some of the most fun parts are the fiction parts. And uh, there are certain characters who, uh, met certain fates in real life uh, who will have their own stories to tell in parts of this book. Uh, and they, they meet different outcomes, uh, including a, a certain former governor of Alabama uh, who meets an outcome that I think most people will find enjoyable in this book. Uh, and, and just a lot of fun things that, uh, you know, it, it's neat to see them for the first time. And I hope that people will enjoy. Roll Tide, baby. Uh, when, when, when is the book coming out? When can people actually get it? Well, great question. Uh, the answer is by August 1st. Uh, we Soon. would anticipate, you know, probably sometime late this month here in July. Um, but we do not have a, uh, a hard pub date on this book. We'll, we'll leave that either to the element of surprise or to the element of when we're done with it. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna. I, I've promoted this book a couple of times on Extra Points. Uh, we did a promotion last week, um, where if you subscribe to buy you a copy, it's it's, it's pay pay what you want. Uh, I'm gonna include a link, obviously, within the post, and it's all over my social media. Um, fellas, this is great. I'm 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 excited for me to finish this. I'm excited for you guys to finish this. I'm excited for the world to see it. I'm excited for uh, some of the other projects that you two and uh, my our, our fellow SB Nation alumni come up with. Uh, over the next couple of months, this is this is a very extra points kind of project, and I, I think our readers are going to love it. I hope so. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank no, you so much. Yeah, no problem. All right, thanks, fellas. Let me. Uh...